right, good morning, guys. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are continuing our series this morning through the three C's, which are celebrate, connect, and contribute. So we're on the middle C. And the reason we do that every year in the life of Salt City Church is as a way to introduce you to what we're all about as a church family. And so these are sort of our core practices as a church. And so if you think about that first C, celebrate, we've talked about this already within the service, but to state it clearly, what we're celebrating is this crazy reality that Jesus loves sinful people. That's amazing. We can't get over that. That the God of the universe looks at us broken, messed up people, and he says, I love you. And not just I love you, but I'm going to come and show you that I love you by dying for you. And so we are rejoicing in Jesus' death and resurrection for us. We're celebrating that together each week. But then we're also, throughout the week, connecting. And what we're saying by valuing connecting with one another is that we want to join Jesus in loving broken, sinful people. So we get around each other. And we start to see each other's imperfections. We start to see each other's brokenness. And instead of moving away from that brokenness, we move toward that brokenness because Jesus has demonstrated for us what love looks like. So I'm not so much talking this morning about why we connect. I'm talking about how we connect. And my basic argument is that love connects us to one another. It's not our giftedness or our flashiness or putting our best foot forward that connects us to one another. It's that we embrace that we are broken people and we embrace that we need community with one another. And so I hope that this morning you're encouraged to more fully commit to being a part of this community. And if you are committed to being part of this community, that you continue to go all in on that by moving toward other people, even as they start to hurt you and offend you. All right, so let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. We're looking at a really famous passage. And in that passage, we're going to see three reasons that love connects us to one another. The first reason is that gifts are inadequate. That's they're inadequate to connect us to one another. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to start off by looking at verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, <clears throat> I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now let me give you a little bit of background on the Corinthian church. So the Corinthian church was not unlike our church. It was about a four or five-year-old church plant. It had been planted by the Apostle Paul. And it was in a metropolitan city that was very influential in its region. And the Corinthian church was marked by extraordinary 
spiritual gifts. And so there's three that Paul mentions over and over again throughout the book, and those three are knowledge, prophecy, and tongues. And so knowledge would be this supernatural gift of understanding. So if you went to a Corinthian church service, you would say, their pastor's smart. That dude knows his stuff. You start to rub shoulders with people in the church, and you'd be like, wow, these are a knowledgeable bunch of people. This is incredible. I've never been to a church where people know so much about the Bible. And then the second thing you would notice after being involved in a church service at Corinth is you would notice the gift of prophecy. In other words, it wasn't just knowledge. These were like spiritual people. And so the gift of prophecy is sort of the ability to discern in the moment exactly what somebody needs to hear. So you would go to one of their church services and somebody would go up to you and they would say this incredibly powerful word that seems to speak right into your heart and right into your life. And you would leave that service like, wow, these people, they not only know the Bible, but they also seem to know God in, in the supernatural way that I haven't experienced him before. And then you would start to hear people talk about this gift of tongues that they have. And you'd go to small groups within that church, and you would realize that people in that church, get this, are able to speak a mysterious, angelic language. Your experience in the church of Corinth would be, these people have a connection to God that is foreign to me. And I think our tendency would be, to stand in awe of that connection to God. And yet, the Apostle Paul writes two letters to this church that are mainly rebuke. Why? Because if you started to get more involved in the church, what you would notice is that there were bickering and quarreling going on simultaneously that there was disunity within the church, that the rich were looking down on the poor, that there were class divisions, that there were racial divisions, that there was anger, that people were gossiping about each other. And so even though they were marked by these incredible gifts, the gifts were not being used in love, but were being used in sort of a competitive way that was causing division within the church. And so what Paul's saying is, guys, if you want to connect with each other, your gifts are inadequate. Your gifts, he says over and over again, are nothing. And so he goes through this list. If you have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge and faith to remove mountains, but you don't have love, you're nothing. He doesn't say, that's great, that's awesome. He says, if they're not tethered to love, they are nothing. Knowledge is nothing. Sacrifice, even. If I give away everything that I have, deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, it's nothing. Have you guys ever seen what the Apostle Paul is talking about at work in the church? I know I have. I've been part of the church for a long time. And one specific example that came to my mind as I was thinking about this is I've seen this rhythm 
in the churches that I've been a part of, where every four years or so, there's a group of people that get sort of obsessed with the biblical gift of tongues. Okay? And here's what happens when that starts to get off the rails. So we believe in all the gifts at Salt City Church. So we believe that someone could have the gift of tongues, speaking in an angelic language to God. I'm not against the gift of tongues. But what happens is somebody may be given this gift. They'll speak in the supernatural language to God in their time alone with God. And then they'll think, everybody needs to have what I have. And if everybody doesn't have what I have, then they must not be as spiritual as I am. And so somebody, usually somebody pretty immature in their faith, will gather a group of people together and they'll invite everybody else to have this gift of tongues. And what begins to happen within a group of people is that there begins to be some division because it's like, wait, am I not spiritual? Do I not really know Jesus because I don't have this gift of tongues? And if I did have this gift of tongues, would I be more spiritual? Is there something wrong with me? And that group of people starts to sort of insinuate that, yeah, that's true, which would be like me gathering a group of people in this church and saying, guys, if you don't have the gift of teaching and knowledge like I do, if you're not able to stand up in front of a group of people and teach the Bible like I can, then maybe you don't know Jesus like I do. And so let's, let me gather a group of people in a circle and let me pray for everybody that they can receive the gift of teaching. And if you don't receive the gift of teaching and you're not able to teach as well as I can, then I start to insinuate maybe you don't have the same spirit that I have. And so you can see that any time that we take one gift and we elevate it and we say, if you don't have that gift, that you're not spiritual, it immediately kills unity in the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, instead of being a family, becomes a place of competition. There's all sorts of different ways that this can manifest itself. How about this? Unless you live in the city and give your life to justice and taking care of the poor, then maybe you don't really know Jesus like I do. How about this one? Unless you subscribe to a certain political ideology, have a certain knowledge about politics that I do, then maybe you don't really know Jesus and you're not really following after him. How about this one? Unless you subscribe to this pure stream of theology and you're enlightened about these specific passages of scripture and understand them the way I do, then maybe you don't really know Jesus. Or how about this? Unless you're willing to take these certain risks of faith, whether it's going on the mission field or doing evangelism on the street, then maybe you don't really know Jesus like I do. You see, when gifts run wild in the church and they're not tethered to patient love, they are deeply inadequate to connect us. And so here's Paul's exhortation to the Corinthian church and to us. Love is what's needed. What's needed to connect us is love. Gifts are great. Gifts are needed within the church. We need gifted teachers. We need gifted leaders. We need gifted small group leaders. But 
What's going to bind us together is love. This is what Paul says. Love is life. Verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, I want you to notice how realistic Paul's portrait of love is. Here's what I mean by realistic. It's going to work in the messiness of real relationships within the church. Like, he understands what he's like and what other people are like. And, and I think to summarize, he's basically saying, love puts up with sinners. It moves towards ungifted people. It moves towards immature people. It moves toward people who have nothing to offer. It moves toward people who hurt us and offend us. It moves towards people who we don't really like. Look at these different attributes. I don't have time to go through every single one, but look at this attribute. Love is patient. So how quick are we in our current cultural environment to sort of find a church, get involved in a group, not really like the group because that group isn't meeting our needs, and start to see the brokenness in other people's lives, and within a semester, we're leaving the group or even leaving the church that we're a part of. And Paul says, love is patient. What does that mean? It takes a long time for us to give up. Love isn't easily offended by people within the church family. Love isn't primarily saying, how can you meet my needs? Love is primarily saying, I'm going to go to connection group or I am going to be part of this church family, and no matter how deeply you hurt me, I am going to keep on coming back. I'm going to keep showing up. Why? Because Jesus has been patient with me. Jesus puts up with me. Jesus has shown me this kind of genuine love. Jesus doesn't have a short fuse. Jesus isn't going off on me. Love is not arrogant, which means that it doesn't take pride in our gifts, our maturity, our knowledge, our wealth, our risks, or our faith. Love doesn't like to boast. Love likes to encourage and build up other people around us. And I think this is especially 
needed for our church family. Because so many of you are so new in your faith. And, and you honestly, I think you come to a church service or you go to a connection group and you're like, please don't tell me to flip to a certain book in the Bible because I don't know where it is. And you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, but you're sort of like looking at this Christian culture, not this, just this church, and you're like, do I fit? And, and what I want to say to you is, yes, you fit. I, I don't know where some of the Old Testament books are right off the top of my head, to be honest with you. Like some people learn the song in, in uh, Sunday school, you know, and I like get into the minor prophets, and I'm a pastor, and so I've had, I seriously have those moments where somebody's like, I turned to Habakkuk. Why didn't I get the why didn't I get the Bible with tabs, you know? Or well the ultimate out right now is you've got the phone, right? So like if you really don't know where the books of the Bible are, download the app and then just like, you know, you can get away with not uh, ever admitting that. Um, just you know, word to the wise. But we'll love you even if you don't know where the book of the Bible is. And we want to set this pace in this church of not being arrogant or being proud about what we know and what we have, and instead being humble because we've been loved by Jesus. And after all, everything that we have is a gift from him. So there's nothing that comes from us, so we have nothing to boast about. This one's kind of incredible. It says love bears all things. Think about that. Love bears all things. So in case the word patience didn't click with us that Paul's talking about dealing with really getting your feelings hurt and really suffering within the church family, he makes that hit home with that statement right there. Love bears all things. So we tend to use the hurt that we've experienced in the church is as an excuse not to be involved in the church. And Paul says, expect to be hurt in the church and respond not by lashing out or complaining or deconstructing your faith or starting a blog, but instead by bearing with people. Guys, I know you've probably heard this read at a wedding, and, and you might have even thought of 1 Corinthians 13 as like a love poem that makes you feel good. This doesn't make you feel good. This is like real, hardcore Christianity. This is the good stuff. This is where you go from being part of a service to being part of a family, which means it takes some grit and some holy inspired determination to just keep going. You guys know, one of the best examples of this in my life is from my parents. So, like most of you, I wasn't impressed by my parents when I was growing up, you know? <laughs> just thought, they're, I mean, they're great, but I'm not impressed by them. But one of the things that I've been impressed by as I've gotten older 
is to recognize that my parents have been a part of some kind of small group Bible study ministry, connection group ministry, for 40 years of their marriage. And I've known a lot of the people that have been in their groups. And they have had odd people in their groups. They have had really difficult people in their groups. They have had people that have hurt them deeply, who they have poured their lives into and then have walked away from the church or walked away from the faith or said negative things about them. They've had people that they have confronted about things in their life in love, and those people have experienced that as rejection and talked bad about them to other people. And what they've done is year after year, actually week after week, day after day, they have walked forward in faith and said, I will not give up on the bride that Jesus Christ died for. Even though she's messy, even though she's not pretty, girl's got mascara running down her face, snotty nose, like hair's a mess, I'm going to keep loving that girl. And they have kept on going. And they have been optimistic. And it has not been easy. It has been hard. In fact, I called my mom this week and I was talking to her about this point, that I was going to make this point. I didn't tell her that I was going to use her and my dad as the illustration. But I'm talking to my mom about this point and I'm just walking through her what I'm going to talk about love being like and wanting her input. And she, on the phone with me, started crying and said, Drew, even as you're talking about this, I am convicted because I had an interaction with somebody in my life where I was unloving and I know that I need to go back to that person and I need to apologize for something that I have done. I think that's what it looks like to embrace the mess. We embrace the mess in others. We also recognize the mess in ourselves and we keep on going. We move toward each other, and we apologize to each other, and we don't give up. And what that will say to a watching world is Jesus is real. Because nobody loves like that. Nobody treats each other like that. Nobody moves toward each other like that. Nobody cares about each other like that. No one bears with each other like that. No one is patient with each other. If you don't meet my needs, I'm done with you. Paul says to us, love is what is needed. Not arrogance, not outrage, not your ideology, not your thoughts, not your opinions, humble sacrifice for one another day after day after day. Okay, why would we do this? Because here's what it's going to feel like if you do this often. It is going to feel like you are wasting your time with difficult people and that you are losing 
Because the way that it looks in the world is it looks like the people who just look out for themselves and don't burden themselves with other difficult people are winning because they get to binge their shows on Netflix and they get to hang out by themselves and they get to do cool things and they get to live sort of this unburdened life. So why would we shackle ourselves in this way? Because in so doing, you align yourself with the very purpose of the universe and the very heart of God. And that is because love never ends. Look what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13, he says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. What is heaven going to be? like. Heaven is going to be a place where God pours out his love on us forever. Isn't that amazing that Paul says in heaven, there aren't going to be prophecies, there's not going to be tongues, and there's not going to be knowledge. Why? I think he clarifies toward the end of the passage where he says, we see in a mirror dimly now. So he's saying, we think we know God. We think that we communicate with God. We think that we have intimate relationship with God. And we do. But the relationship that we have with God now, even a relationship with in love, is as nothing in comparison to what it will be one day. And so he's saying, don't put all of your eggs in a basket that's going to get tipped over and be done with. That's knowledge, that's prophecy, that's focusing on your gifts and your talents and your abilities and sort of climbing the ladder and competing with people in the church and trying to be first. He says, don't put your eggs in that basket, put your eggs in the basket of love, because here's What's true about love? Love lasts forever. Love will not end. The very reason that God created the universe is to demonstrate to us that he is so overflowing, so big, and so amazing that he can pour out his love on people who can never pay him back. And he is allowing us as the church to be part of demonstrating that this world will pass away. And that that world, this heavenly world, when God will make everything new, will last forever. 
So here's what we are as the church. We are a beacon of hope for our world. When everybody else is out there arguing and fighting and is arrogant and is rude, and we take this stand of non-participation in that, and we say, I will not even gossip about anyone. I will not even slander anyone. I will not rub anyone's weakness in their face. And when I see brokenness in somebody's life, instead of running away from that to my own pleasure or to my own giftedness, I will run toward them and care for them. And what it will show other people in this community and the watching world is that heaven is real, that our hope is secure. Nothing is more beautiful than that. You guys know Beth Orlowski understood this reality. This is the last text message that she sent to me. This was just last week. I was texting with her about this reality she's wrestling with. Okay, I, I would love to stay on this earth to serve my family, to serve the church, to live my life for Jesus, but I think that Jesus is calling me home. This is what she wrote to me. She said, heaven is better by far, but I want to do God's will here on the battlefield. What's she saying? She's saying, I want to be in the trenches with my family and with my church family, even though I know that heaven is amazing because I want the chance each and every day to demonstrate to a watching world the hope that we have in Jesus. Guys, God called Beth Orlowski home. How do we honor Jesus and honor her? By embracing life on the battlefield. Our hope is a gritty hope. It's a vigorous hope. It's a get up every day and repent of our sins and ask for Jesus' cleansing and forgiveness, moving toward one another, caring for one another, bleeding, sweating, fighting, not giving up hope. Why? Because one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. In an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be on the battlefield, loving sinners will be exhausted, will be laying there like a runner at the end of a race, crawling to the finish line, saying, I don't know if I can love one more annoying person in my connection group. I just don't know if I can do it, Jesus. And we'll be crawling, and we'll be trying, and we'll be seeking, and we'll be failing, and we'll be apologizing, and we'll be going towards that finish line. And in the twinkling of an eye, we will realize that every sacrifice that we made was not a sacrifice at all because we will be in the presence of pure love forever. And we will realize that even our best attempts to love each other are as nothing compared to the love of Jesus. And in an instant, when Jesus comes back at his second coming, he will swallow up all of our brokenness. How? With his love. 
Because his cross is greater than our weariness. His cross is greater than our brokenness. His cross is greater than the world. And so heaven can be a world of love because Jesus absorbed all of our sin into himself. And it is going to be done away with forever. And we have an opportunity in our life to demonstrate that to a watching world. And then, face to face. This is what a famous theologian, Jonathan Edwards, says about heaven. What it's going to be like when we're with God forever. He says, heaven is a part of creation that God has built for this end to be the place of his glorious presence. And it is his abode forever. And here will he dwell and gloriously manifest himself to all eternity. And this renders heaven a world of love. For God is the fountain of love, as the sun is the fountain of light. And therefore, the glorious presence of God in heaven fills heaven with love as the sun placed in the midst of the visible sky in a clear day fills the world with light, the apostle tells us that God is love. And therefore, seeing as he is an infinite being, it follows that he is an infinite fountain of love. Seeing he is an all-sufficient being, it follows that he is full and overflowing and an inexhaustible fountain of love. And in that he is an unchangeable and eternal being, he is an unchangeable and eternal fountain of love. God is love. Love one another. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you demonstrate your love for us in this. While we were still sinners, you died for us. Help us to let go of our bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and petty disagreements and gossip and frustration and to run toward each other with love. That we would be a people that bear all things. And that this city and this world would look at our church and they would say, that kind of love cannot possibly come from these people. And that we would have the privilege of saying to a watching world, you're right. Our God is love, and he has taught us how to love. God, would you pour out your spirit on us, send us out, connect us, so that we can demonstrate this love. In Jesus' name.